6640. Your future lies in 6640. 66 books by 40 authors, and yet we now discover it's an integrated message system from outside our time domain. Welcome to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher is Dr. Chuck Missler, connecting the Bible to your life and the world around you. In today's study, Dr. Missler continues his teaching on the book of 2 Kings, chapters 11 through 13. Verse 11, And the guard stood every man with his weapons in his hand round about the king from the right corner of the temple to the left corner of the temple along by the altar uh, and the temple. And brought forth the king's son and put the crown upon him and gave him testimony and they made him king and anointed him and they clapped their hands and said, God save the king. So it's quite a ruckus. Big crowd, big turnout, a lot of pomp and ceremony. It's all going on. When Athaliah heard the noise of the guard and the people, she came to the people, she came to the people into the temple of the Lord. So she heard the ruckus. She didn't know what's going on. Oh, by the way, another small point here. Um, they, uh, verse uh, 12, they put the crown upon him and gave him the testimony. Uh, that is, they gave him a copy of the covenant, the Mosaic law, or at least part of it. So he's make, they're making a, a, a double covenant here, a covenant to him and a covenant to the Mosaic. That's a very, very key part of what's going on here. They're anointing Joash with oil symbolizing his uh, endowment and so forth. Um, and when she looked... Behold, the king stood by a pillar as the manner was, and the princes of the trumpeters by the king, and all the people of the land rejoiced and blew with trumpets. And Athaliah rent her clothes and cried, Treason! Treason! <laughs> How ironic. How ironic. She's, she's the one that's doing the, you know, she, she looks and she sees the, this little kid here with the royal crown on his hand standing by the pillar at the eastern gate of the inner courtyard of the temple. That's, uh, that's where the king normally addresses the people. Uh, when uh, in the temple area, an elevated platform obviously set up and all that sort of thing. She uh, obviously quickly, she's not stupid, she figured out what was going on here. And uh, so she cried, treason, treason. But uh, verse 15, But Jehoiada the priest commanded the captains of the hundreds and the officers of the host and said to them, Have her forth without the ranges, and him that followeth her kill with the sword. For the priest has said, Let her not be slain in the house of the Lord. They're not going to kill her in the temple. They're going to get her outside because they do, it would not be appropriate. But it's interesting, you know, uh, see what Jehoiada had done is not treasonous because Joaz was the legitimate heir to the throne. Athaliah was not legitimate heir because she was not a blood descendant of David. She was the one that was guilty of treason. And so they were commanded, the, uh, he commanded, he told, uh, Jehoiada commanded, took, ordered the commanders to arrest her lead her out of the temple under guard and kill anyone who tried to help her. And uh, it's not appropriate to kill them in the temple because it's a place of worship, according to Second Chronicles 24 and elsewhere. And so they had hands on her, and she went by the way in which the horses came into the king's house, and there was she slain. So she was she was put to death the sword at the place where the horses entered the palace grounds, the horse gate as it's called. Not the horse gate of the city, but the horse gate of the temple area. And so entered the life of one of the most wicked women in Scripture, the true daughter of Jezebel, in spirit as well as blood. And Jehoiada made a covenant between the Lord 
and the king and the people. Wow, let that sink in. The covenant is between the Lord and the king and the people. Now, there's a three-way deal here. That, that they should be the Lord's people between the king also and the people. And that's an important issue. This is, in effect, the high priest. He's leading the people into a rededication of themselves to the Lord and his covenant given through Moses, which, of course, they departed from since the days of Jehoshaphat. He also made a new covenant between the king and the people. The king would lead the people according to the Mosaic law, and the people should obey the king. So that's the issue of all all that there. And then they they followed through, and all the people of the land went into the house of Baal, break it down, his altars, his images, break they in pieces thoroughly, and slew Matan, the priest of Baal, before the altars, and the priest appointed officers over the house of the Lord. So they tore down the temple of Baal, of course, and altars, and so they killed killed their high priest and all the rest of that. And he took the rulers over hundreds, and the captains, and the guard, and all the people of the land, and he brought... And they brought down the king from the house of the Lord and came by the way of the gate of the guard of the king's house. And he sat on the throne of the kings. So, see, to avoid recriminations from the devotees of Baal, Jehoiada posted guards at Solomon's temple. It's basically what's going on here. And at the end of the coronation ceremonies, the people led by Jehoiada's guards, they conducted the new king to his palace where he sat on the throne. So they moved from the temple to the throne area. And... uh, and all the people of the land rejoiced, and the city was in quiet, and they slew Athaliah with the sword beside the king's house. Seven years old was Joash when he began to reign. So it's exciting because the people, the reason the people are rejoicing is because a descendant of David ruled, and the worship of Jehovah was again the official religion of the realm. And uh, so the turmoil that had existed during Athaliah's reign, of course. Can you imagine? Uh, it was, the city was quiet again. And if you're interested in learning more about Athaliah, you can read Second Chronicles, chapters 22 and 23, right in that area. Cover all this. A lot of, a lot of detail there that's, that's, uh, we haven't had time to develop here. And, uh, see, just as Jezebel had promoted Baalism in the northern kingdom, Athaliah had promoted it in the southern kingdom. Now, during her reign, Baalism and got its strongest hold in the southern kingdom. But it was never as influential there as it was in the north, fortunately, because some of the kings were... Uh, they, had, they had some kings that had a stronger commitment to the Lord. And uh, Now, um, seven years old was Jehoash when he began to reign. And he had a good reign. He didn't do everything he should have, but he did... Oh, well, he, he, the beginning of his reign marks the beginning of a hundred years of consecutive rule by four men who are judged as good kings in the word of God. And none of these four, Joash, Amaziah, Azariah, or sometimes called Uzziah, and Jotham, none of these were as good as uh, uh, good for Judah as Jehoshaphat, Hezekiah, or Josiah. In other words, Jehoshaphat, Hezekiah, and Josiah were stronger in their day. But these four guys together provided the longest continuous span of God-approved leadership in Judah's history. So that's worth commenting on. So this starts a, a century of relatively stronger times. That doesn't mean those four are the strongest of the eight, of the seven or eight kings. There's three others that are singled out as good guys. Uh, Jehoshaphat, Hezekiah, and Josiah, for example. But uh, 
you can read, you, know, you can form your own opinions as you get to know them. Well, let's move on to 2 Kings 12, in the seventh, in verse 1. In the seventh year of Jehu, uh, Joash began to reign. In 40 years he reigned he in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Zibiah of Beersheba. Now, Joash was the youngest king to mount the throne of Judah. He was seven years old. Um, uh, he reigns for 40 years, they figure. And uh, the uh, he was a son of King Isaiah and a woman named Zibiah from Beersheba in southern Judah. In verse 2, And Joash did that which was right in the sight of the Lord all his days, wherein Jehida the priest instructed him. So as long as Jehida, the priest that raised him in effect, as long as he's alive, the kid does pretty well. But when Jehida finally dies, then he, 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 he uh, wavers and he, he, he fumbles. He, does not, he doesn't finish well. So uh, when his mentor dies, he's, he's, he's in trouble. In verse 3, but the high places were not taken away. The people still sacrificed and burnt incense in the high places. And so even though he, he had years of faithfulness, he ruled well, he, but he did not remove the high places. And that's true of most of the kings of Judah. We commented on that back in First Kings 22. People made sacrifices and burned incense contrary to Mosaic law. They didn't, they didn't stamp that out, unfortunately. These were high places probably regarded by Joash as relatively unimportant, but they were important to God. So that's the, there's a lesson there, isn't there? And Joash said to the priests, All the money of the dedicated things that is brought into the house of the Lord, even the money of everyone that passes the account, the money that every man is set at, and all the money that cometh into any man's heart to bring to the house of the Lord, let the priests take it to them and every man of his acquaintance, and let them repair the breaches of the house, wheresoever any breach shall be found. And so that's his plan here, of course. His purpose is to restore Solomon's temple, which obviously had fallen into disrepair after seven years ineffective of a, a compromised use. And, they, and apparently suffered major damage in Athaliah's reign. And Second Chronicles 24 talks a little bit more about that. So this is the first temple restoration project recorded in either First or Second Kings. And uh, so that was his intent, but it didn't work out. But it was so that in the uh, 20th year of King Joash, the priests had not repaired the breach of the house. And the King Joash called for Jehida the priests and the other priests and said to them, Why repair you not the breach of the house? Now therefore receive no more money of your acquaintance, but deliver it for the breaches of the house. And see, apparently the revenue from the normal revenue sources was insufficient to support the priests and Levites and also to pay for the temple repairs. So they're keeping it for themselves in effect. And uh, the priests consented to receive no more money of the people, neither repair the breaches of the house. So, but Jehovah the priest took a chest and bored a hole in the lid of it and set it beside the altar. On the right side as one cometh into the house of the Lord, and the priest that kept the door uh, put therein all the money that was brought into the house of the Lord. And it was so that when they saw that there was much money in the chest, that the king's scribe and the high priest came up, and they put in bags and told the money that was found in the house of the Lord. And they gave the money, being told, into the hands of them that did the work, that had the oversight of the house of the Lord, and they laid out laid it out to the carpenters and the builders that wrought the house of the Lord, to the masons and the hewers of stone, and to buy timber and hewed stone to repair the breaches of the house of the Lord, and for all that was laid out for the house uh, for the house to repair it. Howbeit there were not made for the house of the Lord bowls of silver, snuffer, basins, trumpets, or any vessels of gold, or vessels of silver, of the money that was brought in the house of the Lord. In other words, they had money for the rebuilding of the thing, but not for the furnishings. That's basically what the gist of all that is. And uh, See, the, the priests didn't want to divert funds from their own support, so this was just a mechanism around that, if you will. So he told them to stop taking money from the offerings for this purpose, and establishes this new procedure, if you will. 
a new way to collect it and new and other men to be responsible to supervise the renovation. So the priests agreed to all this and it, it worked better. And so they put this chest on the north side of the altar and, and uh, it was specifically earmarked, so to speak, for the temple renovation project. And that started to get funds to pay for the artisans to, to, and, and workmen. So that seemed to go okay. But they finally they gave that to the workmen and repaired there with the house of the Lord. Moreover, they reckoned not with the men into the hand, whose hand they delivered the money to be bestowed on workmen, for they dealt faithfully. The trespass money and the sin money that's from those offerings was not brought into the house of the Lord. It was the priests. So they found a way to do this, and, and so integrity apparently returned to Judah. They get the impression from the text that the paymasters were serving with complete honesty and were trusted to pay out the money due to workers, and so integrity returned to Judah because of a rededication of the Lord. This is intended to reflect the commitment that they made a few verses earlier. Now, there are a few things that um, are not recorded in Second Kings, but do appear in Second Chronicles. For example, Jehida, the high priest, died at the uncommonly advanced age of 130 years, Second Chronicles 24. And after his voice was silenced, Joash followed the counsel of certain Judean officials, which caused him to do things which resulted in him turning from the Lord, unfortunately. When the king did this, God sent prophets to warn the nation. And uh, Jehida's son, Zechariah, who had replaced his father as high priest, also sounded a prophetic warning. But Joash had him stoned to death for his troubles. Boy, how, how important it is in a position of responsibility to have people you're accountable to, spiritually. How important that is, because we all need to be accountable. How important that is. It's tragic how many people are in ministry as really a mechanism to flee accountability. It's important to have accountability. And uh, we will both have an outside board, but we also have a, a cabal, if you will, of our own that try to, we try to hold ourselves accountable. It's, it's crucial in our personal lives and, of course, in the ministry. And uh, so it's too bad that Joash didn't replace Jehida or his counsel with people he could trust to be effective. Well, now we move on. Hazael, the king of Syria, went up and fought against Gath. That's Philistine Gath, you may recall, and took it. And Hazael set his face to go up to Jerusalem. So he's making trouble again. He captured Gath, uh, uh, which had been taken by Judah back in second, according to Second Chronicles 11. And now he's pressing along the coast. And uh, St. Chronicles says that, uh, that this continuous soldiers against Jerusalem had uh, destroyed all the leaders of the people. Well, Joash, the king of Judah, took all the hallowed things that Jehoshaphat and Joram and Ahaziah, his, his fathers, kings of Judah, had dedicated, and his own hallowed things, and all the gold that was found in the treasures of the house of the Lord and in the king's house, and sent it to Hazael, the king of Syria. And he went away from Jerusalem. In other words, he bought him off. He bought him off. That's, in other words, just, just points out how weak he was. And the rest of the acts of Joash and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Judah? By the way, in Second Chronicles, we know that the Arameans, or the Syrians, if you will, had severely wounded Joash, and he evidently went to cover, for, uh, for recovery to Beth Milo, a town on the road to Silla. And... Uh, but anyway, uh, his servants rose and made a conspiracy, and they slew Joash in the house of Melo, which goeth down to Silla. For Jazakar, the son of Shimeath, and Jehozabad, the son of Shomer, his servants, smote him, and he died. They buried him with his fathers in the city of David, and Amaziah, his son, reigned in his stead. So these, uh, these officials conspired against him. Why do you think they did that? Well, obviously, he, 
he had slain the high priest Zechariah. So they reciprocated by murdering him in his bed. Second Chronicles 24 for the details. And uh, the assassins here are are listed, uh, whose mothers, according to Second Chronicles 24, were an Ammonitus and a Moabitus, respectively. So these two guys, these two assassins, were raised by non-Israeli mothers. Josh was buried in the royal city of Jerusalem, but not in the royal tombs because he was not respected as some of his ancestors. And his son, Amaziah, succeeded him as king. So we have one more chapter. Now we're going to talk about Jehoahaz's evil reign in all Israel. Now we're going to shift to the northern kingdom. We've been in the southern kingdom. Back to the northern kingdom, which means it can't be good news. <laughs> in the three and twentieth year of Joash, the son of Amaziah, the king of Judah, Jehoahaz, the son of Jehu, began to reign over Israel and Samaria and reigned 17 years. By the way, I encourage you with a notebook and stuff to try to keep keep a little chart on a scratch pad of who reported to who so you can keep some of the names. The, the northern kingdom is a dismal story anyway, but it's also one dynasty after another. It's not like the house of Judah, which is the uh, house of David, which is just one dynasty, of course. But anyways, it may be helpful to try to keep those straight, recognizing the, the text sometimes renders the name slightly different in the transliteration. But anyway, moving on, verse 2. And he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. No surprise. All the kings in the north seemed to do that. And he followed the sins of Jeroboam, that was the founder of the whole bunch, the son of Nebat, which made Israel to sin. And he departed not therefrom. This guy's bad news. The anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. No surprise there. And he delivered them into the hand of Hazael, the king of Syria, into the hand of Ben-Hadad, the son of Hazael, all their days. That may sound strange, but you see, one, one replaced the other is the point. Um, you see, they... they uh, as sort of a discipline of the of the nation of the house of Israel for a disobedience against Mosaic law, God allowed the Arameans or the Syrians, if you will, to dominate her. And uh, so, Jehoahaz reigned during the last years of Haziel's ministration, the early years of his son Ben Hadid the third. That's what's going on in in, uh, in verse three. And Jehoahaz besought the Lord, and the Lord hearkened unto him, for he saw the oppression of Israel because of the king of Syria oppressed him. So even though they are under God's discipline, God still hearkened to him. Because God's trying to send him a message too. See, and the Lord gave Israel a Savior, so that they went out from under the hand of the Syrians, and the children of Israel dwelt in their tents as before time. Nevertheless, they departed not from the sins of the house of Jeroboam, who made Israel a sin, but walked therein. And there remained the grove, that's the Ashtaroth, that these phallic symbols, this, this pagan worship, uh, also in Samaria. So God is gracious, sends them a relief, if you will. And uh, apparently it was uh, probably King adad of Assyria. See, the Assyrian, the, the, the Arameans, or Syrians as we would call them, also had enemies further east. The Assyrian Empire is on the rise. And so King adad is is now starting to harass the Arameans or the Syrians so they don't have the time or the trouble to harass Israel. So God's taking the pressure off Israel by using this. Now, the Assyrians are going to rise to power. We're talking here about 783 B.C. By the time you get another 50 or 60 years, Assyria is going to be the mechanism by which the whole northern kingdom will be taken and wiped out. But that's for, that's later. Uh, King uh, Adinari III of Assyria, he fought against Damascus, Tyre, Sidon, Media, Edom, and Egypt and defeated it in 803 B.C., so... So, the, obviously, the Arameans, or the Syrians, as we would call them, uh, turned their attention from attacking Israel to defending themselves against the Assyrians. 
So Israel escaped Aram's power and, and, uh, people were able to return to their homes. That's what I mean. You dwelt in tents, so they can turn to their homes. That's the expression for that. And, uh, but they still had to, but they had to pay a tribute to Assyria. But on the other hand, they were free from Aram's attacks, so. But, but they still don't learn from this. The answer to prayer, which they got, did not result in the people repenting of their idolatry. When God answers your prayer, does that change your behavior? Does that cause you to examine your life for sin? When God so graciously answers prayer, which He does so often, He always blows our mind. See, here they got a tremendous answer to prayer, a national answer to prayer, and nevertheless they departed not from the sins of the house of Jeroboam, who made Israel to sin, but walked therein. They remained these phallic groves and so on. Neither did he leave the people Jehoaz, but fifty horsemen, ten chariots, ten thousand footmen, for the king of Syria had destroyed them and had made them like the dust by thrashing. In other words, Jehoaz's army is decimated by the Syrians, or the Arameans, and uh, dust at thrashing time, it means they were just blown away. We would say they were decimated or never seen again. Now the rest of the acts of Jehoaz are they, uh, and all that he did and his might, are they not written in the book of Chronicles of the kings of Israel? Jehoahaz slept with his fathers, and they buried him in Samaria. And Joash, his son, reigned in his stead. Now, Joash, or Jehoash, is, uh, now we're speaking of the northern kingdom guy here. And so we're going to talk about his evil reign in Israel. We've got The chapter isn't over, but we've got a sort of a different topic, a different reign going on here. He's the third king of the Jehu's dynasty to rule in Israel. In the 30th and 7th year of Joash, the king of Judah, began Joash, the son of Jehoahaz, to reign over Israel and Samaria, and he reigned 16 years, and he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. Boy, there is that echo. There is that refrain. No learning is taking place. Learning is defined as the modification of behavior. They're not changing their ways. He departed not from all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. He's the first guy. He's the guy who set this up in the first place. Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel a sin. But he, this current king, walked therein. And the rest of the acts of Joash, and all that he did, and his might wherewith he fought against Amaziah, the king of Judah, are they not written in the book of Chronicles of the kings of Israel? You know, this, 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 this familiar refrain is kind of early <laughs> in his career here. Um, these words about Joash are repeated almost verbatim in the history of Amaziah of Judah in chapter 14. Uh, Joash's war against Amaziah is described by the writer as part of the Judean reigns king in chapter 14, forthcoming. In other words, the next chapter is going to deal with some of this. And, uh, and Joash slept with his fathers, and Jeroboam sat upon his throne. And Joash was buried in Samaria with the kings of Israel. Now Jeroboam II will succeed Joash, but the son actually began reigning as co-regent 11 years before his father's death. And Jeroboam II will be uh, uh, the guy that will lead them to some material prosperity, uh, so they think it's the best of times, but Hosea, the uh, primary ministry from chapters 4 through 14, will uh, indict the days of Jeroboam II. Because they're starting to come you know, to a climax there. But anyway, uh, verse 14. Now Elisha was fallen sick of his sickness, whereof he died. So Elisha's got terminal illness here. And Joash the king of Israel came down unto him and wept over his face. You know, this is interesting. He, he, he reveres Elisha. How can you? With all the incredible things, events of his life. And yet, he, he, he weeps. And yet, he doesn't listen. He doesn't follow his advice. 
So Joash the king of Israel came down to him, wept over his face, and said, Oh, my father, my father, the chariot of Israel, and the horsemen thereof. He's using military terminology. He's, he's speaking of him as, as um, the, the, the uh, uh, real defense and power of Israel against all her adversaries. Not the king, not his armies, Elisha. So he has insights. You know, it's disturbing to realize having insights is not enough. Here's a king who understood, apparently. He understands that Elisha speaks for the Lord, that Elisha is, is the real power, the real uh, resource to the nation, and yet they don't do what he is said to do. And now comes a very interesting anecdotal example. Elisha's on his deathbed, but he's got one last thing to do with Joash, the king of Israel. They're obviously good friends. Joash is weeping over the fact that Elijah is terminally ill. In verse 15, Elisha said unto him, Take bow and arrows. And he took unto him bow and arrows. And he said to the king of Israel, Put thine hand upon the bow. And he put his hand upon it. And Elisha put his hands upon the king's hands. Gee, that's interesting. What's going on here? Obviously, Elisha is going to try to make a point here. See, taking his bones in the hands, the king was symbolically becoming an agent of God's power. And Elisha put his own hands on jo- in Joash's hands to symbolize the power the king would exert came from the Lord through his prophet. That's what sort of uh, it's, a, it's trying to communicate here. Verse 17. And he said, open the window eastward. Eastward, by the way, was the direction of their enemies, the Arameans or the you know, Syrians, if you, as we might call them. Open the window eastward. And he opened it. And Elisha said, shoot. And he shot. He said, the arrow of the Lord's deliverance and the arrow of the deliverance from Syria, for thou shalt smite the Syrians in Aphek till thou have consumed them. He said, take the arrows. And he took them. He said, the king of Israel, smite the ground. He smote thrice and stayed. You've been listening to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher was Dr. Chuck Musler, teaching through the book of 2 Kings. For a complete listing of resources available, please visit khouse.org. You can also call us on 1-800-K-HOUSE-1. To learn more about Koinonia Institute, visit koinoniainstitute.org. Thank you for listening to 6640 and for your continued prayerful support of this ministry. Until next time, as we continue this series, may God bless you with the knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ, as you study His Word.